and so the way I think of it is, is that faith is a, I mean, grace is a, is a stream. <laughs> and think about uh, finding Nemo, you know, and they get in that gulf, that stream, yeah. that gulf stream, whatever mm-hmm. it is, or the, um, I'll not, I'm not going to remember it now, but it's around the Great Barrier Reef, mm-hmm. right? This, this, this current in the yeah. ocean. And they get into it, and righteous, righteous. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, so, I, we can all see that. Right? Yeah. That's what happens, right? By faith, whom, righteous. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where we're seeking to help people recover from bad ideas about God and recover the good news. And I have some questions today for Nathan Yay. about the Bible's teaching about justification. And we'll get into what that is. What is justification? And what does the Bible say about it? In the Recovering Faith series, the series we just completed recently, Nathan, you described the idea of being saved through faith. But you redefined saved, and you redefined faith. <laughs> yeah, you redefined, everything redefined. That's right. You redefined saved as rescue from the corruption of the world and the corruption of our souls. You redefined faith as the faith of the Son transferred to us once we believe the gospel. You referred to the translation issue in which certain statements about justification in the Greek New Testament can or should be translated as justified through the faith of Jesus Christ, which is different from the usual translation of what we're all familiar with, which is justified by faith in Jesus Christ or justified through faith in Jesus Christ. So there's an issue in the background, sort of a a translation issue, um, and we can get into that today or not. We can just leave that in the background. We focused on the faith part of that. What does it mean to have the faith of Christ? But we didn't much discuss the justification part of that. So I would like to ask you, how does all this redefine justification? So I've got a series of questions, and we can take them in order or out of order. Yeah. My first one is, is justification a legal standing of righteousness before God? Is it more than legal? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I think it is more than legal just because um, it seems that people are guilty of sin even if they don't have the law according to scripture that there's not um, so when we think about the law of God uh, and God's prohibitions the Ten Commandments let's say um, it really came to a very small group of people in a very small part of the world and is a part of a very narrow slice of, of the history of humankind mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe that's a critique some make if, if they're astute, they're familiar with the Bible, and, and they think, well, how could it be that God is the God of the whole world when he's just dealt with this one group of people? How is it that he's holding everybody accountable for sin when so few people got this definition of sin and, and these prohibitions? How can he hold us accountable? And we, and we tend to think in terms of, of legalities that we equate sin with crime. Let's say, and um, and that's a, a small, that's a narrow view. And and what happens is, is when we equate sin with crime, then we equate justification with acquittal, um, exoneration, mm-hmm. and those are way way too small a concepts. Now, I'm not saying that those aren't somehow included, but they're they're latecomers to the conversation, according to Paul, and they are, um, and so they're minor players, or at least secondary considerations, the, the legal ramifications. So Paul talks about how God, God's wrath is being um, exhibited in the world in Romans 1. Mm-hmm. And, and he gives a reason for that. Number one, he says that God's wrath is exhibited through the immoral actions of humankind, <clears throat> that God has pulled back uh, from humanity, he's allowing us to kind of chart our own course, and that course is headed over the falls or into, mm-hmm. you know, these into the rocks, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And so that's the God's moral degradation wrath. is right is in fact the <clears throat> wrath of God, right? And so maybe somebody on the very far right, uh, religiously and socially, would say, 
look at all these terrible sins and this Romans 1 is a litany of sin culminating in sexual perversion and and that's the worst possible sin because of all this but really when that's not the final culmination the final culmination is disobedient to parents <laughs> you know that that it's not some sort of a litany of severity of sin and how ugly it is but he's showing that society will go off the rails and consume itself without God's grace his guidance his presence um, and so that's God's wrath expressed at least in one way in mm-hmm. Romans 1. But the reason for that wrath is that there is this unrighteousness that, that the he says that in the ESV, he says the wrath of God is manifest against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people. Mm-hmm. So there's this wrath of God that's on all humankind. But then he says that there are people who don't have the law. Like in Romans 2, he says those people who don't have the law, you know, they're, they're going to, to be considered righteous by something else. They're also going to perish without the law. Right, right. And, and so in, in Romans 5.13, he says that, he says that um, <clears throat> death reigned from Adam to Moses. So before anybody had the law, even over those who hadn't sinned in the likeness of Adam's transgression. It, so really, he's saying sin isn't imputed where there is no law, right? So um, if that's the case, um, we could say that imputed righteousness, if it's purely legal, was already there (laughs) from Adam to Moses in the sense that you could plead ignorance. You know, if if righteousness is simply that your, your infractions against a written standard are not counted against you, well, that was true of everybody before there was a written standard. Because there were no infractions against a written standard. Exactly. Exactly. So if, if imputed righteousness is this, is, can be defined or um, is according to a legal metaphor, well, then it, it, it really suggests that God, if God gave us, if he exonerated us from this law, uh, okay, well, hey, I'm thankful, but... He also gave the law, <laughs> you know, he, he created the, uh, if you will, he kind of created the opportunity for the offense and then he forgave the offense. And, uh, and maybe some would say, well, that doesn't sound exactly fair. So let me just interrupt you real quick and give you a summary of what I think you're saying. I think you're saying unrighteousness runs deeper than the breaking of God's laws. Right. Because it, it existed before God ever gave any laws mm-hmm. or before he gave the law. Maybe he gave one law at the beginning. Yeah, but only one person broke it. None of us have been given the opportunity uh-huh. to break that one. Uh-huh. And then he didn't give any more. He didn't give a legal system until later under Moses. Right. Yeah, that, that's what Paul's saying, that, the, that sin isn't a function of law. That law is a function of sin, if you will. Uh-huh. Uh, because he says that in Romans 5, 20 and 21, he says that the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Uh-huh. That's odd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so God's not this, you know, he's not this bookkeeper. He's not this prosecutor. He's not this this guy that's like, you know, so freaked out when we do something that's prohibited in Scripture. Uh, it seems that he's, he's reckless with these transgressions to the point that he engineered a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and Paul uses his, his language is, is pretty precise here. And he speaks of trespass or transgressions, um, that there's a violation of something. And that's only one, you know, class of sin. It's not, it's a, it's really more of a manifestation of a, of something that's bigger. Mm-hmm. Right. Trespasses, transgressions. <clears throat> these are violations of law. Right. But unrighteousness, ungodliness, this is something that runs deeper. Right. And ungodliness and unrighteousness are, are related to one another. They are one and the same. So um, what is unrighteousness? Well, uh, it, it has to do with not, not contributing your fair share, not responding appropriately. And, and I think that's some of one of your questions later. So we'll talk more about what is righteousness in a bit. We can talk about it now if it, if it makes yeah. sense to you. <clears throat> well, I don't know. Um, but it's like God's, the unrighteousness that God is angry at in Romans 1 is the, um, the unrighteousness that we present to him. So Romans 1, it seems to suggest that this, that the abuse that people carry out on one another, 
the exploitation, manipulation, control, um, it, all of this is, these are results of a greater offense, a cosmic offense, and that is this refusal to give glory to God, to thank Him and to glorify Him. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> ungodliness is unrighteousness because this worship is God's due. Mm-hmm. And so um, if a human being is born and they they breathe in the air and they drink in the sunshine and they, they eat the food and they drink the water and they enjoy the warm embrace and all of this is coming to them and they attribute all that to something else, that there is a, a deeper kind of a cosmic uh, fraud that, that takes place, that God is being defrauded and um, it's scandalous. So that, that there's an unrighteousness that happens, that's, that's sin at its base. And that's what needs to be dealt with ultimately. The rest of these things are symptoms of that. Because if if we have uh, if we fail to appreciate God, if we fail to attribute to Him the glory due His name, um, then when He gives us a, a set of prohibitions, what are we going to do? <laughs> We're going to break Him. We're yeah. going to go our own way, right? Out, yeah. of, out of disrespect for Him. Yeah. Refusal to acknowledge Him and submit to Him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or we will look for ways, you know, if if that law stipulates, hey, do this, or you're going to suffer in some way, we'll just try to find ways to get away with it. We'll try to find ways to uh, to do whatever's prohibited, but not get caught. Because um, we don't trust him. Right. That what he says is, 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 is good for us. Exactly. Yeah. So when we think of justification as, as simply a get-out-of-jail-free card, then we really perpetuate that same mentality rather than some sort of innovation or advancement uh, if we see justification as simply exoneration. Um, then what we're doing is we're we're leaving people kind of in the same place where they're like, whew, got away with it. You know, I, I got out and now I can go and do as much evil. You know, and I, and nobody frames it that way, but I'm going to do my thing. And God's not going to judge me, so that's great. Um, and we have to find other ways to get people to not just be out and out wicked. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to find ways. But uh, it, and the the double edged sword of of this legal approach is that you know laws never make a person good, and we should have known that. Mm-hmm. You know, laws just presume unrighteousness, and uh, laws are an attempt to mitigate the negative effects of unrighteousness. They don't make people righteous. You know, mm-hmm. nobody's, nobody, the gavel doesn't drop and someone's declared guilty and the person jumps out and says, glory, hallelujah, I've seen the light. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that just doesn't happen. And if you were to completely keep all the laws, um, you just, it's really not to your credit. You know, uh, Chris Rock had this bit. He says he hated when, when black people uh, boast about stuff that they shouldn't. You know, he's like, well, I've never been to prison. And Chris Rock was like, you're not supposed to go to prison. (laughs) (laughs) But that, but the legal approach, the best we can do is say, you know, I've never, you know, I've never been in trouble with the law, you know, Mm -hmm. and nobody's going to pat you on the back for that. Nobody thinks, man, what a, what a great guy. What a, what a righteous person. Um, They think, wow, you got away with it or. You know, you you, you kept the bare minimum. Do something standard. terrible, great, yeah, yeah, good job. And Jesus says something like this. You know, uh, in in Luke seventeen seven through ten, he says, "Suppose one of you ha- has a servant plowing or, or looking after sheep, mm-hmm. and, and will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit and eat?' Now, what what's the equivalent to that in this metaphor? Come, sit and eat. Isn't that like rest?" Isn't that being invited into the house to, to dine at the table? Mm-hmm. And is Jesus saying that God is like that, that God isn't going to let us come and sit at his table and eat after we come in from the field? Well, that's how we read it, isn't it? Won't, won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink. And, and after you, after that, you can eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what was he, he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Mm-hmm. Now, is Jesus saying that the best that we can ever be is unworthy? I don't know. Have you met Christians who would say that? 
the best you can be is unworthy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's a common Christian idea. Yeah. Yeah. I knew this guy. Every time he'd say, I think I may have mentioned him. Every time he'd say, how are you doing? Far better than I deserve. And, I was, you know, and you're just like, yeah, be, <laughs> that's true, I guess. <laughs> you know, you don't really know where to go with that. But but this self-abnegation kind of seems to be um, baked into our version of Christianity. Um, and And the idea of imputed righteousness is that the best you can get is zero. Um, man, that's that's tough. The best you can get is uh, acquitted, right, of all the crimes, right. Not the best you can get is um, a sharer in God's nature, good and loving, mm-hmm. righteous and true, right. Yeah, he. I think I think Jesus in Luke isn't. He's not describing our relationship to God in the kingdom. He's he's saying. If you decide to take a an approach, um, a, a servant master relationship kind of approach toward God entirely, and and say, what do I have to do? If your question becomes, what do you have to do? Then the best you can hope for is unworthy, unprofitable. Um, but there's another there's another approach, another economy. I think that we're being invited into, so that. It's not like we come in from the field and um, we are worthy to sit at the table, but that we have a, a seat and it would be empty if we weren't in it, you know, and that that's the approach. So I, I think that Jesus is just sharing with us this idea that if we want to take a legal approach to God, the best we can get to is unworthy. But I don't think that that is the best we should what we should aspire to. Um, and so if we see imputed righteousness or justification as simply a legal exoneration. We've missed it, and I think we have an unhealthy spirituality, a kind of a get-away-with-the-bare-minimum approach to God. Okay, so you're not denying that there's a legal metaphor there. No, no. But you're saying that the concept of justification, it, it includes that, but it's broader than that. Right, right, that, um, that the legal part is lesser, it's secondary, it's um, subsequent, if you will, to something that is bigger. Abraham was before the, the law. Mm-hmm. He was before the law. Right. And God counted him as righteous. Right, exactly. Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteous, righteousness. And um, Paul cites that episode in Paul's account about righteousness in Romans. So Abraham uh, is counted righteous and w- by God, and I... Now I'm realizing, okay, maybe I don't know what that means because I'm recognizing that Abraham did not live under a law, so he wasn't acquitted of crimes that he had broken. Right. Yeah. But Abraham, um, when he met God, is in a one-down position uh, because he's was raised in a pagan society by pagans, um, and so he had spent, you know, how old is he when God takes him outside and shows him the stars, like 85, I think. He'd been in the land for 10 years by the time he gets to Genesis 15. And so here's 85-year-old man who has spent, I don't know, 75 years, um, or maybe in somewhat disobedience um, to God, or at least living without God as his primary referent. And, and so now how do you make up that deficiency, right? If, if, if we said that, that there's something we owe to God by virtue of being created, by virtue of having life, this spark of life, that there's something that we owe to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, God is, has appointed perfect praise from babes and infants, you know, mm-hmm. from birth, that there's this sort of appointment that we're supposed to keep. Um, and so when we talk about what is righteousness, what, what we're talking about is, is doing that which is appropriate or fair. Um, and so if it's in a society, we can say that somebody who contributes their share, what they can do into a society is a righteous person. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Someone who does, who, who does no harm, who rather does what is good, contributes, does their fair share. Right. Yeah. So, uh, an equal participant, to be an equal participant in a community or society is to be a righteous person. 
Okay. The person who, who violates kind of that implicit um, expectation, um, debit or debt that somebody has in a society, uh, the one who violates that, disregards it, is, is an unrighteous person. So, you know, right, unrighteousness is things like violent crimes, obviously, because they're, remember, you know, when we, when someone's convicted and they're sentenced, we say they, they're paying a debt to society. Mm-hmm. So there's a debt that's incurred when someone commits a crime and they disturb the peace, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so they're violating kind of this implicit contract, whether it's written on law or not, you know, even in tribal society, there's going to be these expectations that, that are there, mm-hmm. boundaries, if you will. And, and so if somebody breaks that, they violate it, they've incurred a debt to society, they're an unrighteous person. At the same time, if they withhold what they can contribute into society and they capitalize on the vulnerability or the naivete of somebody else, they're unrighteous. That's an unrighteous way to act in a society. Righteousness presumes relationship. It presumes this interaction, an economy. Okay, so let's use that word economy for a while. When, when Paul says in Romans uh, 1, he says that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, right? And, and then he says, wh- he gives us why he says that. He says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Mm-hmm. Well, now that says some things. It, it presumes that the righteous, that God has a righteousness. Now, Martin Luther, and we talked about this before, that he struggled with this verse, okay? Because he'd been taught that 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 what's revealed in the gospel is God's own personal righteousness, that whereby he judges sinners. But there's something more to it. Um, and, and so he realized that righteousness of God could mean, in the Greek, it could mean God's own personal righteousness, but it can also mean the righteousness from God, the righteousness God gives. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, for Luther, he, he flip-flopped that, and he said it's the righteousness God gives, and he did it on the basis of, um, in Habakkuk, where it says the righteous will live by faith. And so he's saying that God counts a person righteous who has faith. Mm-hmm. And so the Reformation is born, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a big deal. It's a critical doctrine. Righteousness is not something that we perform or accumulate or achieve, but rather it's something that God gives. Right. God counts us as righteousness, and then that leads to the idea of imputed righteousness. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And and from the way Luther understood that, that it was simply a transaction. If you believe, God will give this to you. So you check one box. Believe what I've said. Box is checked, and now you transfer to a different category on the ledger, Mm-hmm. over here to counted righteous. So it's it's a matter of, of bookkeeping, mm-hmm. heavenly bookkeeping, okay? So that that's a Reformation idea. And it's not entirely wrong, but it's it's small, and, and, and I think um, it, it doesn't compel the kind of living that God is, is aiming for. And you're going to say it doesn't do justice to the biblical picture right. of justification. So how is it right. wrong— how does it? How how is how it, how it, how is it an inaccurate dis, uh, account mm-hmm. of the Bible's teaching on justification? Right. So when when he says the righteousness of God is revealed, I don't think that he. So for Luther, he says it can either it can be God's own personal righteousness, or the righteousness God gives. Okay. Okay. His subjective righteousness or his objective righteousness. Right. That what he gives or what he is or who he is. Uh, I would say it's both because he, he says what Luther left out was the mechanism whereby this righteousness is given. He says from faith to faith. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we've talked about this before, but that there is a, not only a, a, a transferal of, of a standing or, or um, a condition, uh, a classification but there is this uh, transferal of a mechanism of life, a, an economy. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that. Let's, let's say, let's use this idea of an economy and say you're, you're under this economy. You incurred a set of debts, okay, in this, in this previous economy. And um, it's not just the forgiving of the debts in that economy, but it is moving into an entirely different economy mm-hmm. based on a whole different um, set of assumptions, value set, all of that. Mm -hmm. So that your previous debts just become paper 
They just blow away because you're now invited into a different approach. Okay. So I, I believe that Paul is saying that God's own personal righteousness is revealed in the gospel. Um, and if that's true, then, then the law doesn't adequately define God's own personal righteousness. Right. I mean, how is right? How is God righteous? Would we say God is righteous? He's not righteous because he obeys a law. There's not a law that he's under. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So is he righteous? He's righteous in and of himself. Yeah. Right. And, but we and his character defines what is righteous. Right. But we not said the other that, way around. We said that righteousness has to do with the community, though. Right. Right. But you he's a community. Exactly. And this is why the Trinity is critical to the gospel, the Christian message. Why Unitarianism is a heresy. And I just go on record. You know, I, I'm very, I'm very much like let's just let's keep the essentials, the essentials. Let's let other things go. Um, and here's an essential. If God isn't a community, none of this makes sense. You know, if we say God is love, but God is just this, you know, solitary being who has lived in isolation for eternity past before he created all things. He can't be love. How could he be love? Because love is relationship. Exactly. And, and in the same way, how can God be righteous? How can he, you know, unless he is a relationship? And so there... We have to ask, then, what is the economy of that relationship? We talk about the divine economy. Uh-huh. And generally what we mean is that the that there is this interplay between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, the Father, the Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit, you know, we say that these roles are never reversed as, as we see them acting in, in this concert this eternal concert, and that's true. But what is what is all of that sending um, and going and giving and receiving? What is it all predicated on? Right? What what is the basis of that? Um, certainly, there's not some ancient written document that that guides their relationship. And I would say that it is it's predicated on faith, not. Faith is difficult to apply when we think about the the Godhead, right? Except that that there's a relational faith. You know, for us, faith has to do with um, what we expect to happen in time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right? Is it going to work out? Right. I don't, so, and I don't know. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. I haven't been in the future yet. Right. Right. Now, but God's not like that, and He's been in the future. But but that. Faith uh, that it's going to work out. Maybe we could call that hope for uh, ease of, of reference, although they, they overlap. Is based on uh, a s- estimation of the other person. How do I estimate the other person? How do I esteem them? Now, if I assume that they are generally trustworthy, now I can... I can invest my faith in them. If I presume that they maybe have their own interest and that they would put their interest above mine, now I, I probably should take care of myself too. Right? Mm-hmm. He's looking out for number one, so should I. Now that's fine. We can come to an agreement. You know, We can write a law that says you're going to look out for number one, so is he. Here's where you're looking out for number one needs to stop and his can start. Mm-hmm. And now we need a law. But if what if all of us are looking out for other, do we need a law? Right? And that's that's the righteousness of God. Right. That, that that's the internal righteousness of God. Right. Yeah. And so if we if we are invited into that economy, into that definition of righteousness, um, then we have been given righteousness. Like if so if the if the kernel if the the currency that allows this economy to work is faith, mm-hmm. that without without that currency the economy can't work, right? Um, <clears throat> what is the um, you know the standard right? So the gold standard or whatever. If without the without a standard for the economy, then it can't work. And God's social economy operates on the faith standard, mm-hmm. right? Now that's assumed in the in the Godhead. You know they've never questioned whether that could be the basis. But now God is He has 
um, spawn these other beings and he's given them the one thing that makes us sentient and, and uh, really valuable, uh, redeemable, uh, and that is free will. Uh, you know, if you don't have free will, you're not a thing. AI is not a thing. AI has intelligence, but not will. And some people would argue to the contrary, but um, if it, you know, if it weren't for programming and parameters, then it would, none of these things would happen, uh-huh. you know. Um, so you have to have will to be an actual entity. Okay, but if you have will, now you have the choice or you can withhold your participation in this economy. And, and so as you find yourself the naked ape in the middle of an environment where there are predators and, you know, all of this, you can start to think, I better figure this out. Right. And, and so the idea of trust becomes it's not assumed. Um, and that's, that's where we, we fall short. That's when we quit participating. That's what's gone wrong. That's this ungodliness and righteousness of people that translates into the ungodliness and unri- the unrighteousness that we suffer from in our society. Mm-hmm. The fear leads to self-protection, leads to harmful ways. Right. And so this righteousness is a gift because the faith is a gift. And the faith is a gift because it is offered to us in the gospel. So we hear the gospel and resident in the gospel is Christ's own faith, right? That, that in history now he has to, he has to do what we're called. The gospel is a story about Christ's faith, right? Will we cast this one little life we have on our creator Mm -hmm. or will we, withhold and say, you know, hey, I'll worship you as long as it looks good, you know. It's a story about how he did that, mm-hmm. and we believe that story about how he gave his life, right, cast his life in faith uh, uh, for the good of the world in trust of his father. Right. Right? <clears throat> we believe that story. Believing that story implies we are taking on that same faith. Yeah, because he did it on our behalf. Because he did it for us. Right. And, and because he did it on our behalf, now we say that God, God is he's able because Christ rose from the dead. But he's also willing because Christ died. Mm-hmm. So resident in this simple message of Christ's death and resurrection is this affirmation of the divine economy and that we're being invited into it. Okay. So the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel mm-hmm. in that it shows us uh, that God's personal righteousness, his doing what is right and good, um, okay, but it also transfers to us the faith by which he is right and good. Yeah, right. Yeah, how is he right and good in eternity past, right? <laughs> it, well, because he has always, the, the, the persons of the Godhead have always divested themselves for one another. So God creates everything for the sun. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the spirit comes in and, and he decorates it all for the sun. And the sun comes and purchases it for the father. Right. Uh, and, and so there is this this pouring out of self and a receiving back that is implicit in this eternal relationship that we are invited First, to participate in with God, but then to express in our relationships with each other. Uh-huh. So the ideal is that there would never need to be any kind of rules because we are all freely giving ourselves away for one another. And that, um, and when we begin to insert obligation into that system, it, it begins to grind down its grit and the gears because the system is predicated on this thing called grace. You know, mm-hmm. Grace is that is that pouring out of self. <clears throat> it is this this economy. Um, so faith enables it. Grace is the expression of it. Um, and Jesus has has reached out. You know, so I say it's for our sake. It isn't just that he died, or, or that he offered himself to God. That would be this this drama that we could watch and say, wow, that was that's what it looks like. And that's, I think, has value. 
But when we see that it was on our behalf, now we are we are implicated. And and so this this matter of grace comes in. So law can never make a person righteous. It can only bring you to zero. We've been brought into a different economy, and that economy, that echelon of existence is grace, where there's this free giving away. So the law asks, what do I have to do? Grace says, what more can I do? Mm -hmm. And that's a totally different approach to God. But someone who is living like that, someone who is asking, what more can I do, isn't just considered righteous. They're becoming righteous Mm -hmm. in their actions. Mm -hmm. So that righteousness hasn't just been counted to their given to their account. So you talked about Abraham a minute ago. <clears throat> I was told that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Right. Later on, Abraham dis- demonstrates this death-defying faith. Like, at first he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't characterize his life, right? When he walks into um, Egypt or into some of these other territories and he says, I'm afraid these guys are going to kill me. Tell them you're my sister, Right. What's he doing there? Is he acting in this kind of resurrection faith? Well, no, he's, he's covering his butt, right? And he's willing to sacrifice somebody else and, and kind of entrap somebody else to do it. It's a pretty unrighteous thing to do. Um, <clears throat> so God, God has to count him righteous. Later, after, after God in his life establishes this truth that there's nothing too hard for the Lord, it says, I mean, that, isn't that at the basis of, of this kind of faith? What God wants him to know is there's nothing too hard. And then we talked about a few weeks back, but this, he, say, he comes and he says, take your son, your only son, your Isaac whom you love. So he has, he has learned the, the lesson God is able. And I think that, that esteeming God in this way, that, that this is what is the right response to God to esteem him as ultimate. And in offering his son, he demonstrates that he does in fact esteem God as ultimate. Okay. And so he's, he is now a righteous person. He, he, he mm-hmm. is really righteous. He doesn't, he's not yeah. just considered righteous. He really is righteous. He's become righteous. He has become yeah. a righteous man in that moment. He has become a righteous man. Now we wouldn't say, Oh, that was a great thing to do. But, but in, in this, this cosmic relationship of, of counting God, you know, esteeming God, in a way that he's worthy. Abraham has finally done it. Mm-hmm. It's taken him, you know, 115 years to get there, but he did, right? Um, so could I suggest to you that, that this, this counting of righteousness is an advance? An advance payment. Right, right. That, so you, you have a child and, and you, you know, and, and he, you bring him and, and there he is and, and, and you say, wow, he's, he's just like his dad. Well, he's not. He's got a big head. He can't hold it up. You know, he's drooling. <laughs> he can't, he's not just like his dad. But, but we say that because what we see there is the incipient form, the basis mm-hmm. of what he will be. Which is faith in exactly. the case of the Christian life. Exactly. And so God advances this status mm-hmm. of righteousness. He welcomes into his austere community the person who still has a ways to go. Right mm-hmm. on the basis of this, this incipient form, this this basic form, this kernel of the faith of the Son, and so it's that faith that's transferred, and we can watch it being transferred. It's not something that's just happening in a book somewhere in heaven, mm-hmm. but but you can see somebody go from suspicious and calloused and hateful to soft and vulnerable and childlike. You can see it happen. And when you've seen that, what you've seen is the righteousness of God being given from faith to faith. And, and so justification becomes a lot more than an invisible ledger. I'm not saying it doesn't include that because mm-hmm. it has, you know, we're, we're not where we need to be when we first come to believe. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the, the quality of that faith, that the basis of that faith is enough, even in its, um, in its very incipient form. Okay. And so God counts us as righteous, and we begin a journey that is a journey of faith mm-hmm. that produces in us 
actual righteousness. And so that leads to a question I have is, uh, and this is something I picked up from N.T. Wright, where he was talking about justification in light of God's judgment. There's this, you know, grand biblical narrative about how there's coming a judgment. And justification is the, 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 judge, the, the verdict, the final verdict of, uh, of righteous or unrighteous is being brought into the present and announced over us. We're justified. We are counted as righteous. We are declared to be righteous. Mm -hmm. The the judgment of the final day has been brought forward, which I think is maybe saying what you just said in a different way. Yeah. Uh, As an advance. Right. And so that we are announced or declared to be righteous, God's righteous ones, the ones who will stand in the judgment. Yeah. In biblical language. Mm -hmm. Even though in, in our actual character, we're not yet. Right. Um, that your point is that that's all true. That's all good, but it's not going to be made true in our lives if the faith is not transferred to us. Right. If it is transferred to us, then by faith we will grow to be those people who stand in the judgment. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that will that will vindicate God in having declared us in advance to be His righteous ones. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and it, and it gets back to this idea of being saved from this present evil age. So God's judgment is coming on this present evil age. So if, if you could think um, in terms of uh, echelon, uh, echelon of existence or a category of, of, of humans or, a, say, a species, okay, um, we've been transferred from one species to another if we have this faith of the Son, okay? And God's... God's judgment is coming on the, the fallen species, right? Um, and so what we're being invited to do in believing the gospel is to leave the old species and join the new one. Leave the old economy, join the new one. Uh-huh. Here's the problem. <clears throat> the door to the old one is always open. Uh-huh. And that's why it's not some sort of a one and done. It's a, it's a process salvation if you will in that when in so in Galatians chapter 5 Paul says those of you who are um, who accept circumcision right you've you've fallen from grace uh-huh. so that's why I say that grace is an echelon of existence um, and it is accessed by faith but what does what does unbelief do right and unbelief takes a lot of different forms um, one of them is resorting to legal righteousness. Uh-huh. And that's what the people in Galatia were doing. And so he says, I declare that everyone who lets himself be circumcised is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law. You have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Uh-huh. Um, and and which so, sounds like he's saying justification is not a permanent status. Right. If you can be alienated from Christ, if you can fall from grace right. on account of your failing to live by faith right that's it yeah and so the way i think of it is is that faith is a i mean grace is a is a stream yeah and think about uh finding nemo you know and they get in that gulf that stream that gulf stream whatever Mm -hmm. it is or the um i'm not gonna remember it now but it's around the great barrier reef Mm -hmm. right this 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 current in the ocean and they get into it and righteous righteous (laughs) (laughs) yeah we can all see that right that's what happens Right? By faith, whom righteous. <laughs> Literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if we think, where's this going? I'm moving so fast. And, and we can drop out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what do you do if you drop out? Maybe swim around a while and you think, you know, hey, there's predators here. This, this kind of sucks. And you get back in. Uh-huh. It's, not, it's not like there's some sort of a big deal breaker. Maybe it's a part of the process. Sometimes we, we tumble out, we tumble back in. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it's, not some, it's not this idea that, that there is this, um, that God is somehow beholden to save us because we checked a box. And, and I think a lot of people, they need that to feel secure. Uh-huh. But... You know, our our confidence is always going to be in his character, not in some system that prescribes how he must behave toward us. Uh-huh. God's never going to be in that situation. You know, he has invited us into his stream to share his likeness in this 
relationship of grace through faith. But if we don't participate in it, then it doesn't transfer to us. He's not obligated to give us the the benefits of it if we don't participate in it. So, uh, Even if we pray to prayer. Right. It ought to make us more serious about living by faith. And Paul has some dire words about things that are in unfaith, right? Things that when we act in unfaith, uh, we are really violating the covenant. Um, and so what, what I'm afraid people do, this is on the other side of it, people will say, well, I, I can do that. That's not wrong, right? They'll justify their behavior in, in some way. Like uh, you find a, find a good uh, expositor of the Bible and get them to tell you that whatever it was you did wasn't wrong, okay? So, you know, oh, well, that doesn't mean pornography, you know? When Jesus said that about lusting for for somebody, he was talking about somebody else's wife, mm-hmm. right? And 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 this is just a this is just marketing, you know. This is just a, a product that I'm consuming. Let's just say somebody's trying to justify a porn addiction. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is just a transaction. It's something for sale, and I'm buying it. And you know, everyone's a willing participant. Um, I'm not married, and she's not married. And if I so if I see this this going on, then I'm not actually participating in it. These are the mental gymnastics. Yeah, the legal justifications. Yeah. Right, right. But is that, let me ask that person, right? Are you proud of that? You know? Mm-hmm. Well, they're not. Right. <laughs> um, and if you're not proud of it, then that means you did something that you didn't really, the core of your being, who you want to be, you did something that was out of phase with that. Mm-hmm. You didn't. You're not pursuing glory and honor, like Paul said. Mm-hmm. You're you're pursuing the the very lowest common denominator, right? And so, <clears throat> whether I can give you a "Thou shalt not watch porn," right? I can box you in. Whether or not I can, I can tell you, you're condemned because you're not living by faith, right? Right. If you're it not doesn't honoring your conscience your and like putting yourself out there to do the thing that you know is best, even if it costs you, and you're entrusting the the pain and suffering that you go through to deny yourself, you're entrusting that to God. Exactly. Yeah. So, if yeah, whatever deprivation that a person feels and the 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 reaching to solve the pain. In my own strength, the the trying to short circuit the process, you know, because it, life is going to feel like deprivation. It's going to feel like pain, and that we ought to entrust that to God, be able to do what we can, participate in what we can thank Him for, what we can praise Him for. So good, honest work. You can thank Him. You can praise Him for that. Go into your job. What we can't thank Him and praise Him for is stealing somebody else's thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so that there that there's this standard that's built into faith that um, it it calls us to live above the way of the world. It calls us to live beyond dictates of law, and um, and yet we don't need prescriptive instructions to live that way. Um, and so, and Paul seems to say, judgment is not going to be on you know our actual actions entirely but he says he will come and judge the secrets of men's hearts according to my gospel Mm -hmm. and romans 2. so we have to be righteous from the inside Mm -hmm. or we're not going to make it right we have to be uh authentically righteous which is what jesus is talking about in the sermon on the mount right the righteousness that goes beyond that of the scribes and pharisees yeah yeah, uh, maybe a good uh, kind of way to end off is this Romans 4. He talks about, really, I think, justification from two sides. In Romans 4.25, he says, He was delivered over for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That always seems strange. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell me what it means. Right. Well, it seems that justification, this matter of being um counted righteous before God, it, that there's uh, two layers to it. So for, say, if you were coming at it from a purely Reformed mentality, you would say that 
for our sins and for our justification are one and the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're they're mm-hmm. indiscernible. Yeah. What could they? What could you possibly mean, Paul? And yet he assigns Jesus' death for our sins, his resurrection for our justification. Right. And so what? What I would say that to that is is that the, that his death for our sins is that that's that absolving of guilt, right? Mm-hmm. That's that propitiation, if you will. Um, and that's part of that reformed idea. But you see that that's only one step. We don't, I think we've failed to understand the critical nature of the resurrection. We celebrate it, we talk about it, but we don't understand how it really applies to my practical salvation. Okay. And if it weren't for the resurrection, we wouldn't have the faith of the Son, and we wouldn't be living in this economy of grace. Mm-hmm. And so he was raised for our justification. For Paul, if he had to say which one is justification, this exoneration for our sins, um, for you know his dealing with our past guilt, or his giving us the means to live in to participate in the divine economy mm-hmm. through faith, which one is justification? Well, Paul uses the word to refer to both, but if he had to choose, he would say it's the latter. So the, the justified person lives by the faith of the Son. Right. And so he, he's not always—I I think we go around with this idea that we're just breaking God's law right and left, you know, that we're really just failures. Most Christians live their life as, as violators, as offenders, perpetrators— we just, you know, oh, we all sin every day and, you know, thank God for grace. And that, that God is just, that grace is God ignoring what he knows is true about us. Man, that's not, that is not worthy of the gospel, that mentality. And it doesn't call people to really live righteous lives. It calls them to this false humility. Um, and I don't think anybody wins with that, that we are called to participate in the, in the life, the divine life. And that's huge. And that our participation in it is something as simple as living with a good conscience. Don't violate your conscience. Why? Because you don't have to. Why don't you have to? Because though you die, he will take you up. There's never a time when we, when we have to fudge on, on what this, the core of our being, what the Spirit is calling us to do from within. We never have to fudge on that because it's solved. It's already dealt with. And so faith is calling to that. Now, if you do fail in that in some way, you're approximating it just like Abraham. He's already advanced you this. Keep moving. Keep growing. Get back in the stream. There's no reason to lose a step. Just keep going. The justified person lives by faith. Amen. Thanks, Nathan. Uh, good talk. I don't know if anybody else was interested in that, but I've always been interested in justification, and others of you, uh, you have a background in it, I'm sure, and maybe today we challenged you, stretched you, maybe you have questions. Email us those questions to discussion at faithrecoverypodcast.com.